Welcome to the Crowd Church Podcast. We are an online church and you are listening to the service that we also live stream on YouTube and Facebook. For more information about Crowd Church, please visit our website at www.crowd.church. Well, good evening and welcome to the Crowd Church live stream. Uh, I'm Matt Edmondson and beside me are the very talented, beautiful and just all around amazing people, which is Chris and Sue Holcomb. Chris and Sue Holcomb, good evening. How are we doing? Uh, good. Hi. Well, yeah. Nice good. to be here. Yeah. Well, it's the first time, uh, Chris and Sue, uh, you are on the crowd live stream, and it's the first time we've got a married couple together on the live stream co-hosting with me. So it's just an evening of first right now. So uh, I couldn't have chosen a better couple to do it with. So thank you for being here with me. Uh, today we are talking uh, about health, all things health. What does the Bible say about health is the key to the topic today. And Chris and Sue are gonna have a fair few things to say about this topic, I'm fairly sure. Is that right, guys? You, you got a few insights, a few ideas? <laughs> Possibly. We shall see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Judges at the end, right? Judges at the end. Yeah, we couldn't possibly comment. Yeah, <laughs> reserved. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, but it's a little bit reserved because we're British. Uh, so, welcome to everyone in the comments. Sharon's in there. Matt Cruz in there. John Farrington is moderating again on uh, both YouTube and Facebook. So, say hi to John. Uh, in the comments, I'm sure I'd appreciate it. Uh, big thanks to Matt Crew, who has now got the track Insomnia in my head. Um, I just appreciate that, Matt. Uh, anyway, uh, say hi in the comments. Let us know where you're watching from. If you would like to know more about Crowd Church or about what we do, you can visit our website, www.crowd.church. On our website, there is also a WhatsApp number. If you prefer WhatsApp, you can reach out to, to us via WhatsApp or through the website form. If you've got anything you'd like us to pray about, anything you want to talk to us about, then please use either the WhatsApp number or the website. We would love to hear from you. Appreciate today is probably going to throw up a whole lot of questions. So if you want to throw them in the comments, as uh, Sue and I and Chris and I will be getting to those in Conversation Street. Uh, yes, we will. That's uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. Actually, I'm really keen to hear what Chris and Sue have got to say about this whole topic, um, because I, it may surprise you that this is not a scripted. <laughs> None of this is scripted, right? So, so it's all downhill from now. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Uh, shooting from the hip, absolutely. So, guys, how long have we known each other? It's been a fair few years, I would have thought. When when did you guys enter the, the realm of the city? 25, we came to Liverpool in 93. Yeah. 93, so what, yeah. now two years after me? Mm, yeah. 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 Wow. We went, we went to the States together, Matt, remember? We did, we did, yeah, yeah. We. I mean, we've done a lot together, let's be fair. Uh, over the years, we've we've done a fair few things. Chris and I served on the board of trustees for Frontline Church for a little while. Uh, we've been off to the states, Sue. I'm sure over the years we've done one or two worship things as well, if memory serves me right. So there's a fair few stories. I'm sure we could regale around a campfire one night. <laughs> 
not all of them. Maybe we should edit some. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe we should. Maybe we should. So, yeah, I've known Chris and Sue for a very, very long time. Uh, and, um, yeah, we're just wonderful people and real real godly insight so hence the reason they're on the on the show uh, next on the show i should stop calling it a show the trouble is i do live streams for work and i do live streams for church and when i do them for work it's called a show when you do them for church it's called a service because obviously it's not a show when you do church because that would be all kinds of wrong i just get my language mixed up <laughs> we forgive you max <laughs> <laughs> That's super kind of you. Thank you. I'm not sure everybody else will. I'm sure Matt Crew will have something to write in the comments about it because, you know, uh, Matt dislikes it. <laughs> so what have we got going on? John's put in the comments here. If you're new to Crowd Church, feel free to say hi in the comments and share any thoughts or questions. You can also message us on WhatsApp, which is plus four four if you're outside the UK, uh, 798-453-0429. And I've started to read this number out now because we've uh, you won't know this, uh, dear avid viewer, but we are also going to be launching our podcast fairly soon. So the whole What Does the Bible Say About series will be a podcast. And I realise listening to the first podcast episode, there's a lot we take for granted just with visuals, uh, which if you're listening, won't make any kind of sense. So if you've been listening to the podcast and you've stuck with us this far, thank you. We will start doing a better job of making sure that audio-only listeners are catered for. Yes, we will. So, Chris and Sue, we talked earlier on about what's coming up today. I'm going to throw you in the deep end. Can you remember what is happening in today's service? Yeah. It's a, it's a <laughs> proud church service, Matt. Remember, it's a service. It's a service. Yeah, it's not a show. Uh, what's, um, what's coming up in the service and not the show? We're going to have a welcome. We've mm -hmm. done most of that. We're then going to have a talky bit. And then we're going to have a short worshipy bit. And then we're going to have the wonderful Chris and Sue in conversation <laughs> with yourself. Yeah, they're not so wonderful, Matt. No, absolutely. And uh, that's very well done. Uh, we're very well remembered. Uh, I like the talky bit and the little worshipy bit. Uh, that's, um, that's awesome. Now, what we're going to do, if you're a regular to crowd, normally we interrupt the proceedings between the talk and the worship. Today, we're going to try something a little bit different. The worship will play after... The talk so we're going to go straight into it so if you are new to church if you are new to the church live stream if you have never really done the whole worship thing before then feel free to join in as much or as little as you like you can read the words when the worship uh, when the words come up on the screen if you're able sing along uh, hopefully the song will all make sense but then Chris and Sue and I will be back after that but for now let's jump into the talky bit I like the talky let's do that let's do the talky bit so here we go what does the bible say about health
what does the Bible say about health? Now, my default when I think about health is to think about the food I eat, how fit I am or am not at that point in time, and how much excess weight maybe I am carrying around my midriff. That's my default. And since the pandemic, I would probably throw my mental health into the mix too. You see, health, well, health is a funny word, isn't it? And it means different things to different people. We each have a different relationship with this idea of health. For some of us, it can be a bit of a raw topic and one that we feel ashamed about. For others of us, we may have become a little too obsessed about the whole thing. So how do I know if I am healthy? Is it by how I feel, by how I look, by how many minutes I may or may not have spent on a treadmill, how many times I've been sick recently? And I think one of the fundamental ways we check our health is to compare ourselves to others. Do I look like that person? And if I'm honest with you, I don't think that's particularly healthy. And if you think about it, there's no real defining line for health, is there? It's not like it's, it's not, it's not digital. It's not binary. It's not, I'm unhealthy, now I'm healthy. There seems to be this curve between unhealthy and being healthy. So it's hard to know, I think, if I actually am in the healthy bracket. So is there something that the Bible says about health that could really help us? Help us to regain a sense of balance and rightness in this whole area? Because if I'm honest with you, I think it's something that we could all do with, and me included. So how does the Bible define health? Great question. In the Bible, the word health can be translated as wholeness. To be healthy is to be whole. And that's a really good definition of health right there. When you think about health, think of wholeness. Now, I found that the Bible talks about five specific areas uh, of health and wholeness. Okay, so I call these number one, spirit health. How well is our spirit doing? I think it's the most important one, too, which we'll get to. Number two, soul health. And let's quickly define soul as your mind, your thinking, your mental health. But it's your emotional health, too. And that would all come under soul health. Number three would be your physical health, your body health. Number four would be actually your relationship health. And number five is your economic health, your provision, how well you're doing with just the everyday economics of life. And the Bible talks about these five different areas. And what fascinates me about this whole topic is that the Bible never talks about them uh, as purely independent things. They're not independent of each other. But instead, I think they're heavily interconnected to each other. They're all interdependent, to use a very posh business term. Now, the Apostle Paul, who wrote letters that have since become part of the Bible, put it this way when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He said, may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. It's an interesting scripture, isn't it? Because Paul is praying that they would experience wholeness, but that they would experience wholeness, spirit, soul and body 
he'd linked them together that they would be kept fit. He is linking these ideas together. They are interdependent ideas. And the essential thing to notice here, just in case you missed it, is that Paul said it's God who makes us whole. God. See, self-help is okay. Self-care, self-love, whatever phrase you use doesn't matter because it all comes from self. That's where it starts. Now, these aren't bad ideas, I don't think. I just think they're limited ones. The best self-care I can do, I think, is to let the God who formed me make me whole through his grace. The best self-love is to love the creator who makes us whole and healthy in a way that I could never reach on my own. The Apostle John, one of Jesus's closest friends, also wrote a letter to a friend called Gaius. They were good mates. And he opens it like this. He said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So can you see that here John links the idea of prospering, I would call that economic health, and physical health or body health to soul health. They're all joined together. In other words, your economic health and your body health will somehow be limited to the strength of your soul, which is your mind and your emotions. Now, this idea, I think, is critical because you can be strong in body, in your physical health, but your relationships might be in a mess and your mental health is at an all time low, in which case you're not whole, which means I don't think you're biblically healthy. In other words, health is not just about your body health. It's about you being whole spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, economically, relationally. So this is all great in theory, Matt. But how does it work practically? Which I think is a good question. So let me explain how it worked for me, because a few years ago I had poor body health. I was overweight. I was unfit. And then I kind of moved from being unfit to being very fit. But I was still on the plump side and I was struggling with diabetes. So then I looked at these five areas and God showed me that I needed to change three specific things. The first thing I had to work on was my spirit health. Remember, for me, this is key, right? This is the center of everything. It was clear that I had issues with self-control. And yes, I think self-control is a spiritual issue. And the reason I say this is because self-control is what the Bible calls a fruit of the spirit. It's something that manifests in you as you walk and grow uh, in your relationship with God, as you walk and grow and the Holy Spirit lives in you and you understand how he lives and moves. So that's the first area. The second area for me that I had to work on was my soul health, especially my thinking. And the reason I think that I had to work on it was because my thinking had been so misshaped by media and culture. My mind needed what the Bible calls renewing. It needed to be transformed. But so did how I felt about my body, about how I was, my emotional well-being, the whole thing. I needed to see all of this through God's eyes and let him shape my thinking. And the third area, of course, because I could not escape it, was I had to work on my body health. Right now, 
had I just worked on my body health, I would have done what I'd always done. I'd have fallen back into this stop, start, stop, start, stop, start pattern, which most of us, if we're honest, can fall into. How many diets have I started over the years? I have simply lost count, right? But when I bring my spirit health and my soul health into it, that's when things started to change for me. So with this foundation laid, that actually health is about wholeness, that health is about five areas of life, not just one. I do, though, want to spend the rest of this brief time we have together looking at the topic of physical health or body health. And we're going to dabble because that's all we've got time for. We are going to look at other areas like mental health, our thinking, our relationship health, and so on and so forth in future live streams. So, of course, make sure you are subscribed to get notified when we do. Okay, but let's look a little bit at what the Bible says about body health, about physical health. And let me start by saying what the Bible doesn't say. Okay, that might be helpful. But see, the Bible is very silent about body shape, ideal BMI, having a six pack, having muscles or how we look. I know as a society, we have placed tremendous value on our looks and our our physical state, you know, the size of our waist. We see plastic surgery coming out of our ears. We've got fillers coming out of our ears, so on and so forth. The trouble is all of this is creating body dysmorphia at a rate which is just insane, right? Eating disorders are rife. This is not the gospel. It's not the good news that Jesus came to bring us. He was never about finding my identity or my value in how I look. Proper, divine, biblical, God-ordained health comes from my identity in Christ, which is not wrapped up in my body shape or my mass. The Bible, though, well, it does it does kind of give us some guidance on what to eat, what to drink, exercise and rest. So let's talk about these a little bit. Let's dabble. Let's start with food and drink. So uh, the Bible tells us Paul, right, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this. He said, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And this is a great guiding principle, right? Help me. Eat and drink to the glory of God, he tells us. But what does that mean, to do it to the glory of God? I think it means a lot of things, if I'm honest with you. But I think mainly it means eat and drink in worship and celebration of God. Don't separate your food from your Christian faith. When you do something to the glory of God, you are thinking about something much bigger than yourself at that moment. You are thinking about him. And this, for me, I realized not only covered what I eat, but how I eat. If I'm honest, this is where I struggled, right? I couldn't just eat one cookie. Oh, no, 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 no. I had to eat the entire packet. And the Bible has a name for that. The Bible calls it excess, or if I'm going to use an old fashioned word, gluttony. And it seems that excess doesn't glorify God at all in any way. And it also applies to drink, especially alcohol. Okay, so is it okay for a Christian 
to drink alcohol? That's a great question. It's actually a really common question in the church. There's a famous joke that kind of floats around the corridors of churches that goes like this. It talks about how Jesus turns the water into wine and the evangelicals have been trying to turn it back ever since. We see Jesus turning water into wine. We see him drinking wine. But do you know what we don't see? We don't see Jesus drunk. We only ever see him hanging out with drunk people. In fact, the Bible is very clear that getting drunk is excess. Paul, again, he wrote this. Do not be drunk with wine which is excess, but be filled with the spirit. I'm actually, I pause there for a minute because I'm actually also going to say, I have had this question. I can't be drunk with wine. Can I be drunk with gin and tonics? (laughs) Let's take this in the spirit of which it was meant. Let's just say no. Let's just say drunk is not right, right? So it's a critical biblical principle uh, for me is this idea of excess, right? Excess food is gluttony. Excess drinking leads to drunkenness. And we're warned against these things. See, food and drink are good. And I would venture to say that most of our natural foods are a gift from God. I venture to say most of them because some of them I'm not convinced about. For example, sprouts. Just saying, I think they may have come as a result of the fall or something. I'm not entirely sure. You see, part of God's gift, I'm jesting, obviously, part of God's gift, not really, uh, part of God's gift to us is food and drink, right? But too much of this is excess, it's gluttony. You see, it seems that we can overconsume what God gives us, which is a really interesting idea. And so it goes from something which is good to something which is bad. For me, if I consume excess carbs and sugars, I'm at risk of diabetes. And one translation says, actually, that excess will ruin your life. Too much food, too much drink ruins your life. Something we all intuitively know to be true. And also would venture to say that not eating enough food is another form of excess. The pendulum has swung too far the other way, and that can also ruin your life. So how do we avoid excess? What principles, what guidance does the Bible give us? Because this is tricky uh, and you will know this to be true, right? If you have wrestled like me with food and diets over the years. Fortunately, there is hope in the gospel. Now, I mentioned earlier that I could work, that I felt God tell me to work on my spirit health. And this whole area of self-control came up because self-control is a fruit of the spirit, which is something that the Holy Spirit who lives in me manifests in my life. In other words, to get the physical self-control, I can let the Holy Spirit work in me. And this transformed my thinking because it stopped it stopped the whole diet thing being about me and what I could do and what I could strive for and what I could achieve in my own strength. And it became about me relying on the Holy Spirit, listening to him and allowing him to work in my life. And this 
in turn has changed what and how I eat over time. It did not change overnight. It was not an easy thing. There have been consistent battles, let me tell you. But this whole idea I found totally and utterly life-giving and the shame and the guilt lifted because it's based on his grace. It's based on the work of the Holy Spirit and what he is doing in my life. It's about his strength and less about me. And the good news is it is totally shame-free. So here's what I've started to do. It's a really simple thing. And I'm going to be totally honest. I don't do this all the time. It's something that I'm constantly working on. I just try and pray before I eat anything. Now, this might sound silly or it might be overkill. I don't know. But you know what? It works for me. Just ask the Holy Spirit, should I eat this? Yes or no? And just take a moment to listen. It's worked well for me because it's easier for me to do this. It's easier for me to obey his promptings than try and will myself into some kind of dietary change. Now, of course, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit leads us in self-control and excess where food is concerned is around this whole idea of fasting. It turns out that both science and the Bible agree that fasting regularly is good for your health, good for your spiritual health, good for your self-control, good for your physical health. There's a whole lot of benefits to it. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing. So maybe, just maybe, fasting might be in your future. Of course, I'm going to caveat everything that I've said with, before you make any dietary changes, please consult a doctor or physician uh, because I don't know your personal circumstances. I'm just talking about my own story, right? So fasting became a regular thing. So the principle around food, around diet, avoid excess and eat to the glory of God. Very, very helpful. OK, but what about exercise? What did I learn about exercise? Well, again, let's go back to my man, the Apostle Paul. He said that physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. OK, did you notice that physical training or exercise in the Bible is called good? I'm sorry to disappoint you all, but it is called good. And this I struggled with. Um, but it is important because and also notice in this verse that Paul links body health and spiritual health here. Physical training is good, but godliness is better. He says godliness is in effect your spirit health. It's part of your spiritual health. So in the Bible, we can look at Jesus and we can see that he was physically active. I mean, the man walked everywhere, right? The Bible also talks, uh, often uses the word strong, right? But it talks about being uh, that being a sign of health, but strong in spirit, strong in your soul, health, in your thinking, strong in your faith, but also strong physically. So strength training also makes sense to me from a biblical point of view, as well as being physically active. I just love how the Bible gets a bit practical around these kind of things. So how do I do it, right? How do I go about getting healthy? Here's the truth that we all know to be true. None of this is automatic. You have to work at it. You have to partner with the Holy Spirit, right? Spirit health involves the uncommon art of faith, 
which is risk-taking. It involves self-control. Strong mental health comes from working on your thought patterns, which, let's be real, is never easy. You have to work at relationship health. You have to work at your economic health. And body health is no exception either. You have to come to a place, I think, where you surrender your ideas, your beliefs, your shame, your obsession to God, and then you partner with him. And when we do, I don't think it's particularly easy, but it is life-giving. Now, we may find it hard, for example, in one or two areas, such as those that suffer with long-term illness or disability, which we're going to get into in Conversation Street. So what can we do? What is the Holy Spirit highlighting for you today? Where do you need to partner with him? Look at the five areas. Remember, health is not just about being healthy in one area. It's about being healthy. It's about being whole. Now, things aren't always straightforward. As I said at the beginning, many of us have a strange relationship with the topic of health. We obsess about it or we can feel ashamed about it. But God makes us whole. He makes us truly healthy. He is the only one that can do that. You might be able to work out harder. You might be able to put in more hours at the gym. But he is the only one that can transform a broken spirit and soul and body and knit them together in this whole idea of health and wholeness. So remember, when we work with the Holy Spirit and let him change our hearts and minds, then real, divine, shame-free, balanced, life-giving, biblical health and wholeness can flourish in us. And that can happen starting right now. God of goodness, anything less than all of you, anything less than your life-giving truth, never satisfy my heart, never satisfy my heart.
something inappropriate <laughs> yeah like like <laughs> that was perfect timing it just clips through to the word when chris is saying inappropriate that's brilliant uh that worship song i absolutely adore although i don't i still don't to this day understand why we've got that sort of long silency bit at the end but um there we go there we go so thank you greg and martha for the track Whew. so that was a bit of a marathon How, are you you're still with us chris and so i see yeah. still with you I'm still here making inappropriate jokes yeah. <laughs> or at least thinking about it right <laughs> brilliant so let's talk about health uh, let's get into this uh how health is one of those funny things isn't it everyone has a funny relationship with health and i think you guys would have seen this probably more than most what are some of the things that you guys have noticed how how people respond and think about health um what, what are some of the standout ideas? Well, one of the things that I find fascinating is in, in a clinic, um, you've got an 86-year-old, so this may not be our current uh, sort of age group. But <laughs> but you never know. We say, um, have you got any medical problems? And they say, no, no, no. And then you say, you want any medication? And then they bring out this long... <laughs> about 20 tablets that they're on for their blood pressure their kidneys that you know and mm. but they don't perceive themselves as any having any problems so in in a funny sort of way that puts that context of health and how we see it in a mm. nutshell really because mm. you know they, they just don't if if their problem is fixed it isn't a problem 
So that's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. It isn't always true, but yeah, you know, it's like I've got no problems, but I'm on twenty tablets. <laughs> is that is that something you've noticed as well, Chris? Yeah, no, I I think that's true. Um, I, and, I, and I like what you were saying, what the Bible says about that wholeness of, of health is just so important, isn't it? Mm. Um, and for much of life and much of what we do, that that very much is is about wholeness and they all uh, all in, interact with each other. And, mm. uh, and, if, and, and if one of those areas out of kilter, if your relationships are all to pot, however good your economic health is, it doesn't matter, do you? And you no. see that out in the media of rich, famous people who mm. apparently have any, everything, but their their life is is miserable. Mm. But having said that, um, we both work in the in the field of breast cancer, and you know, cancer can be at the very hard end of health, and mm. sometimes, well, often, pe- people develop cancer, and yeah. um, so. So a lot of that is due to lifestyle, or, or it can, it's more common due to lifestyle, but, but an awful lot of it isn't. And mm. um, people get cancer and get sick and get ill and, and, and die from it. But, mm. but, but I guess that's what we all do. Mm. We will all uh, one day uh, move on. Yeah. Can't escape it. Can't escape it. No, it's one thing that's true in life. So we will all die one way. Yeah, definitely can't escape it. So you guys are both involved in breast cancer. Um, And one of the questions, Sue, uh, that has been asked, um, and I think it's quite, for me, it's quite a fascinating question because when I think about this area of health, as I said in the talk, I think about it in multiple areas. And sometimes, you know, there are very few occasions in life where maybe all five areas are doing really well. Do you know what I mean? And every now and again, one of them takes a blip. And that one that gets hit relies quite heavily on the other areas of health to do to sort of take the strain, if you like. Um, But one of the questions that's come in uh, is how do I um, how can I be healthy if I suffer from chronic illness? Um, And I mean, you guys see this all day long. Have you got any thoughts around this humongous question? Well, I think it it goes back to what you were saying, actually, Matt, in in, in your your talk. It's about aligning those five things: the body, mind, soul, and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that in those people who, where they have a disease, whether that be breast cancer or whether it be diabetes or hypertension, any or so high blood pressure, and mm-hmm. um, any of those things, the attitude or the frame of the mind that the person goes into it with makes an awful lot of difference mm. to how they recover. And some people come to whatever they have with a very positive outlook. Um, I think those people with faith, quite often, I would say, tend to do better mm. than those people that have no belief or faith. Um, I've never done research on that, but I think there is some research that would suggest mm that people who have a strong faith do, be- do better in, uh, with chronic disease. Yeah. Um, but the whole, the, the disappointing thing about chronic disease, whether it be a diagnosis of a cancer or, or one of the other things I mentioned, Chris's dad, when he got diagnosed with high blood pressure, 
hated it, you know, was absolutely ashamed of it and didn't want to take his tablet because he thought it somehow there was something bad about it. Mm. But actually the answer to his the rest of his life was do what the doctors had recommended because this actually could be treated. Mm. Um, and you can get into areas of whether or not we should have treatment or whether we should pray for healing. Um, me and the medical profession, I feel, go first to your physician and see what they have to offer mm. and take the tablets because then you actually may well be able to live your life for a lot longer and, mm. you know, so be it. Um, I mean, there's a whole history of why healthcare is good and why doctors have, you know, come to us via even biblical teaching and training, there are people that mm. have trained and have shown us good things. So the the whole of those five areas need to be aligned in order for people with chronic disease to do well. Mm. Uh, and, and I think if there's any one of the, you you've said it already though, Matt, you know, if there's one of those things that is out of kilter, then other things don't, they, they tend to be a bit shaky. Mm. And it's a bit like the cornerstone. You know, if you put the cornerstone in, mm. You're, if you're aligned and you're thinking you've got God at the center of your life, if you've got your emotions sorted out, okay, you're going to be disappointed. Deal with that disappointment. Talk to somebody. Talk about how you feel. Tell God that you're mm. cross. You know, then you can start to say to God, okay, God, I'm giving you all those emotions. I'm giving you all this upset, this worry, this anxiety. Um, what next? Mm. I mean, that, that, there are some big things going on uh, here, aren't there? And implicit in the question. So, so the question doesn't come from nowhere. Mm. It's based on a belief. Mm. And, and the, the, the sort of belief underlying the question is um, suffering is bad and, and or imperfection is bad. Yeah. And, and really the, the, the way the society thinks modern western society is avoiding suffering is the greatest aim being perfect is is the greatest aim mm -hmm. and what the bible uh tells us and what the bible shows us is actually there's something more important than that mm -hmm. and that the one's relationship with god is more important than being rich it's more important than being perfect mm -hmm. it's more important than having perfect health and and suddenly that gives a perspective mm. that allows for fullness and health, as you defined it in that fullness and wholeness of life, in the context of imperfection, in the context of chronic disease and chronic illness. Yeah. Now, actually, of course, I you know I'm the first to not volunteer for chronic illness. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I want. Yeah. But, but, but suddenly it does give you a context and a possibility of thriving mm. despite ill health and despite imperfection. And, and I guess some of that is shown by that there's a long history of martyrdom in the, uh, in the church from mm. the, first, you know, the early disciples, Jesus himself in, in, many, in many ways, and, and a whole history of uh, martyrs since. And, and they said that the 20th century had more martyrs than any other century mm. but, but actually these are men and women who are saying actually there's something more important here than life even extraordinarily actually god and my relationship with god is even more important with that mm. and therefore 
people won't say, I recant my faith, mm. they'll, will be killed apart from that. So it, it's this whole picture in the Bible that our ease is not the most important in life, thing in life. That's a really interesting point. I've got here a quote, uh, and I can't remember who said it, but I remember reading it and thinking uh, this was a lady who suffered with, um, I think it was ME or something like that for, for about 10 years or so. And she said, many think suffering is the worst thing that can happen to you and that happiness is the best thing that can happen to you. But after living with chronic illness, I discovered that separation from God is definitely the worst. And that's, um, I mean, just bringing that back to what you said, Chris, it's, uh, I thought it was a really interesting point and how um, we see that with, with Christ, don't we? He suffered, he had good times, he suffered, but the thing which was absolutely agonizing was the separation from God. And I think um, she also went on to say, I used to rate God's goodness based on how well my life was going. Um, I felt entitled to a better life. And if God did not bow down to my will, uh, then I judged that he was not a good God. I thought that was a really interesting phrase, you know, and how she how she sort of struggled with this whole chronic illness thing and sort of wrestled with it. Uh, I thought it was a fascinating phrase. Um, and, and, and we need we need we need a full reading of the Bible. Yeah. You know, the, the, mm. the Bible is full of all of life. Yeah. You know, mm. great Christian, well, great men of God who were murderers, uh, people who have chronic disease, people who mm. have mental disease. Mm. I, it, it's all there in all its fullness, and mm. we need a face that's big enough to encapsulate yeah. all, all of life. I yeah. guess it's a 21st <clears throat> century disease. It's that I'm entitled. I'm entitled to. It's a yeah. comment people come out with. I, mm. you know, I should have more. I should be better. I yeah. should be. I should be. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. You know. Yeah. And in reality. God has given us everything yeah. need for life. We are not entitled to anything. Yeah. No. Um, and I, but the trouble is that reality for people in their daily lives is how do I cope with this? Yeah. And so what I would say is you need to have a touch of honesty yeah. about where you are, what you really think. You you did that quite clearly, Matt, in your looking at yourself. Mm. You said I'm not happy with who I am. So that takes a bit of honesty, doesn't it? Mm. And often we're not honest. So the, the number of patients that we see who, you know, they say try to lose weight, for example, and, you know, they only eat a lettuce leaf. And it's always the same, you know. Um, and then you say, um, well, I tend to say to people, look, I've got weaknesses. I mm. like chocolate, for example. So I tend not to buy chocolate. Because I know if I buy it, I'll eat it. So then, then your lovely patient will say, oh, yes, I really like, say, crisps. And they'll say, oh, yeah. Okay, so how many packets of crisps do you eat? Five. Wow. Um, okay, a day. Wow. But they haven't counted that in mm. what they eat um, in their meals. Mm. So that's what I mean by honesty. When when you're coming to your disease, when you're coming to how do you feel, mm. you know, when you're the person that's been diagnosed with post, um, you know, postnatal um, diabetes, you're a young woman. You now mm. have to take insulin. Your life has been changed. You can't do the things you used to do. Don't underestimate the effect that's had on you. You know, mm. don't don't just say okay, I can just pray and God will sort it out. That is true. 
you can just pray and God will sort it out. But I would recommend totally that you go to somebody and you share mm. it and they and you can pray together, mm. which have much more and, impact. And God is big enough. You know, yeah. Yeah. our faith is big enough. God is yeah. big enough. He can, you know, yeah. you know, he's seen people with all this well, stuff yeah. before. Mm. You know, it's, Definitely. We're not. And he can cope. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good advice. That's good advice. I suppose one of the... Um, uh, just bringing it back around to, I guess, some of the more practical aspects of this then. Um, you mentioned about eating five packets of crisps and not counting that in your meals. <laughs> it's interesting for me, when I um, got my head around foods that were good for me and foods that were bad for me, how many times I didn't end up praying to God for healing. Do you know what I mean? Because I didn't need to. Uh, and it's, it's funny how that works, right? Um, and so one of the questions that we've been asked, can what's your philosophy when it comes to food for example do you believe you can just eat what you like i, I kind of know the answer but i thought let me ask the question can we eat what we like um right <laughs> we're, we're back to gluttony a bit I, so, mm. so it's not it food is a complex business so mm. there's a, a huge emotional element to food uh, is the first thing um, we live in what's described as the obesogenic environment uh, which is wherever you go, you know, you go to buy a couple of screws at B and Q, and actually there's a coffee shop there, and there's some cakes yeah. there, you know, and 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 that is there everywhere. So I think um, at, at the other end of the scale, as as you mentioned, there's that whole perfection thing that can lead to um, not eating enough and body dysmorphia. Mm. So I've, I think you have to think about food in some way. Um, you, you have to have that healthy, spiritual, I am valuable uh, in God, probably mm. when you're younger, to, to avoid the, um, the, the under-eating. I think as you get older, if by the time you get to 40, certainly 50, if you haven't thought about food, you're going to be overweight because mm. just naturally it, it'll happen. Mm. I think then that there's sensible stuff. Um, uh, move more, eat less, just very sensible advice. Just do that. Um, I, I like avoid beige foods. So, um, you know, so to anything colored. Just avoid beige, full stop, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and just be sensible. You know, some people like calorie counting, and that works for them. Mm. I, I, I think if you have a weight thing, you, you have to get on a scales at some time or have some sort of thoughts about it. Sue, Sue's a bit different to me, actually. Though I'm a, I'm a bit more county. I'm a bit more, a bit more, um, <laughs> <really> much less. <laughs> a, bit, a bit more, says a Sue. A bit more. more. No, no, no. He's quite, he's quite controlled. But Chris is disciplined. I am very different in that respect. But both. So you're undisciplined. No, I'm not undisciplined. I, but I don't, I don't eat to excess. Right. But I can't. I just, I. Mm. Just, I'm not a food person though, so food mm. isn't switch for mm. me. So if somebody says to me, "Oh, what do you fancy?" I think, "Oh, well, whatever." You know, I'm I'm mm. just not bothered by food, so that probably helps me quite a lot. I, I think the thing to say, I mean, it's a couple of things really. What what you were saying about walking, moving more, and Jesus walked everywhere. Chris said there mm. weren't cars, so. <laughs> <laughs> very true would I jesus mean, have driven a car had he had he had the option i don't know car except triumph he did have a triumph <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Um, so, he rode on a donkey. We know that. Yeah, yeah, donkeys. Yeah, but what I say to people is: look, be balanced. Be you know, um, don't have too much on your plate. I mean, it's all a massive thing at the moment, and there's always money at the other end of it yeah. in, in terms of society. So the vegan thing, the vegetarian thing, the can I eat this? Can I eat that? And I think it bothers me that people then start to get on a um, a social, they're socially directed to their thoughts mm. instead of God directed. So I do think we do suffer in our current society from being fed things, both literally and, you know, in the supermarket, you know, supermarket mm. signs, wherever we go, we're told what is good for us, supposedly. And then we're supposed to fit in with that rather than mm. us actually knowing what's good for us because we've researched it properly, not just taken it from wherever. Yeah, so I think we have to give, we have to give it attention. Actually, that was brought yeah. home to me when I, not with food, but with alcohol, um, popped around to the local supermarket with someone who was alcoholic. And we were going to get some onions or something. I don't know what it was. <clears throat> and, and actually what I, what I realised for the first time you walk through the front door and there's a big, big pyramid of cheap wine or mm. a, a deal on beers mm. and it and it's there, everything. So so the, the food industry and the and the hospitality industry is is marketing all of these things to us. Mm. So so you do to a certain extent have to resist that, which yes. some find easier than, than others, yeah. I think. No, I think you've you have to be very aware, I think, of the marketing agencies. Just quickly, um, Chris. Uh, you mentioned, I've mentioned about body dysmorphia. You've mentioned body dysmorphia in your work, in your, cl your clinics. Do you, do you, have you seen an increase in body dysmorphia? I, I guess it's not particularly our field. I, mm. I, um, I'm a surgeon, so uh, it, it comes over towards cosmetic, um, to cosmetic surgery. I, there is more cosmetic surgery. Um, mm. and, um, so undoubtedly that's the case. And I, and I, and and I suppose there is a technical definition of body dysmorphia, dysmorphia. But again, I I think that's probably a continuum between actually I'm not comfortable with who I am and how I look mm. to something something that would be considered um, uh, a sort of clinical condition. Mm. You did say that, you did say though, Matt. Um, we've all got fillers coming out of our ears during the talk. <laughs> I, I think you're going to the wrong person. You, you <laughs> You need to get someone qualified, not your hairdresser. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Mark's put here in the comments, uh, I like your comment, Chris. If you haven't thought about food, then uh, you'll be fat. He said, I'm approaching 15 as 100 kilos. I need to think a little with a smiley face. Uh, so, <laughs> very and, good. And, 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 and the other thing is, you know, everyone says to me, look, you're thin, you don't have any problem. I, 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 I think about it, actually, and... My son was teasing me, um, and I never about a paunch about my paunch <laughs> some years ago, and actually that that was the trigger that um, made me think about it because, mm. because when I was when I was young I could eat whatever I liked, mm. you know that's no longer the case, and then I I purposely just reduced what I didn't particularly go on a diet but reduced what mm. I ate, started measuring my weight. Actually, there. And, there is awesome. another fallacy, isn't there, about exercise? So I should do more exercise and I'll lose weight. Oh, that's yeah. all I mean, wrong. Yeah. exercise you, you need can't. to do in yeah. order to lose weight is like 
incredible you you couldn't do it so yeah. it is it's a balance but both things go together so yeah. it's like getting up a, off a bus two steps earlier than you need to or yeah. um That's you know two stops not two, two stops, stops. yeah two steps earlier you have to jump Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. all these things are sensible and, and then it has to be part of life it has to fit in with yeah normal life and be easy and you know you have to want to do it really otherwise otherwise you do try and you know it's this this sort of up and Stop down start thing. Thing. which is where i was at you know and i i needed god's intervention really uh and it was my kids actually making fun of my little paunch they used to call me baggy belly chris when i was um yeah. Yeah, they came up and slapped me on the belly, go, how's the baggy belly doing, Dad? I thought, I probably should do something about this, you know, because um, like you, I could eat what I liked. And then I got married. I didn't put any weight on until I got married. Went on honeymoon for 10 days, put on a stone. Explain that yeah. to me. Um, no, don't. It's, uh, you know, it's pre-watershed. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I think uh, I'm aware of time. We shall end the conversation street right there. Thank you so much, Chris and Sue, for yeah. your uh, insight and your thoughts on that whole topic. Um, I hope you got something of value. Make sure you subscribe to Crowd, uh, both on Facebook or YouTube. Head over to the website, crowd.church, um, where you can contact us or via the WhatsApp number, you can reach out to us. Uh, be great to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. Now, next week, we are talking about racism. Believe it or not, what does the Bible say about racism? Uh, and another good friend of mine, Tony Udin, who is uh, a church leader down in London, is going to be joining me for that you are not going to want to miss it. So what does the Bible say about racism? We are going to get into that. I'm looking forward to this conversation because it's all a bit touchy at the moment, isn't it? So uh, let's jump into it and challenge it head on. That's what I say. Uh, so thank you, everybody. We are going to play some worship now. Um, and after the worship, the live stream will end automatically. Feel free to stay around. Hang around in the comments. Say how's it to people. Uh, join in with the worship if you like. But from Chris, from Sue, from myself... Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. Have a great week. Bye for now. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong Who holds our days within His hand What comes apart from His command And what will keep us to the end The love of Christ in which we stand Oh, sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal Oh, sing hallelujah Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death What truth can calm the troubled soul God is good, God is good Where is His grace and goodness known? 
in our great Redeemer's blood Who holds our faith when fears arise Who stands above the stormy trial Who sends the waves that bring us nigh Unto the shore, the rock of Christ Oh, sing hallelujah Our hope springs eternal Oh, sing hallelujah Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death the grave, what will we sing? Christ, He lives, Christ, He lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with Him, and we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feed in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore Oh, sing hallelujah Our hope springs eternal Oh, sing hallelujah Now and ever we confess Christ our hope Life and death, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death.